What's going on, everybody? Hope that you are doing fantastic this week. We are uh, stepping into part three of our series, walking through the story of Exodus. And if you haven't been with us, uh, go back, listen to the the two podcasts before this. Uh, we have been walking through the post um, actual Exodus story. So we started with Moses. And the people of uh, Israel crossing the Red Sea. Last week, uh, we talked about the manna and quail that the Lord provided for Israel, even though they were restless and complaining and uh, how God still shows up for his people. And this week, we're going to pick up a little while later in the story. And it's when Moses gets called up to Mount Sinai to have a conversation with God. He receives the Ten Commandments, the rest of the law, the law that many Jewish people to this day still follow. But what happens while Moses is on the mountain, while Moses is away, the Israelites play. So Exodus chapter 32 is where we're going to be. Uh, We're going to start right in verse 1, and it says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So the first question I want to ask this week is, how is our patience? How is our patience? Patience is something that many of us do not really have at all, but what we would probably all agree on is the fact that in every type of relationship, including our relationship with Jesus, we need patience. Patience is vitally important, and yet so many of us fail to have it. In this case, the Israelites were showing that they not only didn't have patience with Moses, but that they also didn't have patience with God. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. 40 days. 40 days is all it took. And that's what it took for a nation of people to turn away from God, to turn away from the God who delivered them from their oppression. And that's wild that it only took a little over a month for a group of people to go in a completely different direction. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we can turn away from certain things and we can, can turn away from important things in our lives in even less time than that. Immediate, immediate gratification is something that we are plagued with in today's culture, but I don't think it's anything new. I think from the beginning of time, immediate gratification has been a human plight that we want results now. If there is a shortcut, we want to take it. I think that we might experience immediate gratification in different ways today, but, but human beings have always struggled with. So, so here is the question. How is your patience? How is your patience with God? Are you somebody who's willing to have patience with the time that God uses? Are you willing to have patience with the decisions that God's making? Are you willing to have patience with the direction that he is taking you on? Or do you lose patience with God and his plan very, very often? Be honest with yourself. Assess. If I'm being honest with myself, there's probably seasons where I have have patience with God, but there are a lot more situations where I don't have patience with him at all. So how's your patience with God? And the second question would be this. How is your patience with people? How's your patience with people? Do you find yourself having an overwhelming sense of patience with people around you? Or do you cut people out real quick? Do you walk away from people that are annoying you? Do you, do you get, not give people the benefit of the doubt? And this isn't like to, to make you feel guilty. This is, this is an assessment. And I think that if we can have a self-assessment of our patience and say, how is my patience with others? How is my patience with God? We'll put ourselves in a really good position. Are we setting relational deadlines? Are we setting relational deadlines for people? And if they don't meet them, 
then, then we get impatient. Or are we setting relational expectations for people? And if they don't meet those expectations, then we're frustrated with them. My wife, Larissa, and I have actually been having this conversation in a couple different uh, scenarios, in a couple different, uh, related to a couple different kinds of relationships. And it's really interesting that uh, there, there's this phrase that Andy Stanley uses that says, expectations and love cannot coexist. And I would, I would take it one step further and say that expectations and patience can't coexist. That, that we will lose patience with people if they don't meet our expectations. And if they do meet our expectations, this is the dangerous thing about expectations, is that they're only doing what we already expected them to do. So really, if we have, have a mentality of relational deadlines or we have a mentality of relational expectations, people have to actually exceed our expectations for us to receive love or for us to not lose patience. And that's a dangerous posture to have. So are we setting relational deadlines or expectations that people can't keep? And are we holding God to our timeline or are we operating on his? When it comes to our patience with God, are we asking God to operate on our timeline or are we willing to operate on his? The second point and second main question is this is where are we finding our justification? The Israelites said Moses has been gone so long. He's been gone so long, 40 days, so long because of that we're going to worship something else. That was their justification. And it seems fickle, but it leads to a question for us. What kind of excuses do we use to justify our impatience with God? Our justifications can look like, oh, well, it's not happening as fast as I expected. Or it can look like it's not happening how I expected. Or it's not happening through the person I expected, i.e. I thought it would happen through me, but God is using someone else. Those are justifications and excuses that we use to, to justify our impatience with God. And then what kind of excuses and justifications do we use with our impatience in others? Well, they're not doing it the way that I would do it. It's not happening the way that I want it to happen. They aren't reacting the way that I would. So there's a thousand different ways that our impatience presents itself. But what if, what if we were people who committed to pausing? Instead of reacting, we committed to be people of pause. A couple weeks ago, I was washing the dishes and my son Maddox, he's eight years old. He's very uh, emotional. He's just like his dad and his mom combined. Um, so he gets a double dose of emotion and something small happened, but it turned big really, really fast. He's eight years old. It happens all the time because he's eight. He's not an adult, but I'm sitting there doing dishes and I'm getting frustrated and, and I'm the first one to admit that my patience wears thin way too often. And especially when it comes to, to like, uh, a fit from one of my kids. And so he's having like a breakdown. I, I don't even really know what's happening. Something small turned into something massive. And I'm asking to him, him to explain himself and he can't. He's just like so frustrated and he's crying and all these different things. And every single part of me wanted to yell. And 99 out of 100 times I would get frustrated and I would start going down the road of discipline. But I just felt like the Lord impressed on me to just stop, to put the dishes down and to go hold him. So I just walked over to him and I picked him up. He's massive now, so it's like not what it used to be. I had to pick him up, sit on the stairs, and I'm holding my oversized eight-year-old son in my lap. And I'm just holding him. And I just felt his body just like relax, decompress. And I gave him a couple minutes, and then we had a conversation and everything was fine. You see, pausing before I got pissed off was absolutely crucial in that moment because if I would have gotten mad if I would have gotten angry and I would have yelled nothing good would have happened but the Lord impressing just the simple act of pausing upon me turned what could have been a horrible moment into a holy moment 
what what could have been something that, that caused a rift in our relationship for the rest of the day or the rest of the week actually turned into a building block moving forward of how we are going to react with one another. And God is so good and so faithful to use our willingness to pause. So instead of getting angry and then seeking justification, instead of getting impatient and seeking justification for our impatience, what if we just sought Jesus? Let's be people who seek Jesus instead of justification. The story of Moses and the Israelites goes on to say this in in Exodus chapter 32, verses 2 through 6. It says, Aaron answered the people. So they're saying, Aaron, make us these gods. Aaron says, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are our gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry. You see, Aaron was Moses' brother and he he was Moses' right hand. He lost faith. He lost patience. And I'm not going to point out a major point other than this is that that even leaders falter. Even leaders lose patience. Even leaders lose faith. Have patience with them too. At some point, humans are going to human, right? Like we are broken. But what's really, really important for us when we look at the leaders in our lives is that we do not look at our leaders like we look at Jesus. We're not followers of some person. We are followers of Jesus. If people are pointing you towards Jesus in the way that they lead, that's awesome. But ultimately, if you're going to follow someone, they better be on the heels of Jesus. They better be following Jesus. And when we prop up leaders to have incredible faith for us, or we prop up leaders to have incredible character for us, we will find that humans are going to human. So, Let's be people who follow Jesus. Let's, let's find people in our lives, leaders that we trust, character that we trust, vision that we trust, all of those things, but it always needs to point towards Jesus. Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 8 goes on to say, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. This is, this is so frustrating for Moses. Like He's sitting on a mountain actually having a conversation with God for 40 days. Like No one in history has really ever gotten to do. And... He, he gets this like message from the Lord and the Lord's like, Hey, like your people need to go get babysat. Like, sorry that we have to cut off this amazing conversation that you're getting to have, but like you need to go down and get them in order. God says they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You see, we've already talked about how impatient the nation of Israel was, how impatient we get. And God points out to Moses how impatient the people of Israel are. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. They've been quick to turn away. See, they thought 40 days was so long. God was like, that's an instant. And you've been so quick to turn away. So the question is this, how quick are we to turn away? How quick are we to turn away? Well, that question would obviously apply to our overall faith in God. And for some of us, like maybe you have had moments where you've turned away from your faith, or maybe you're listening to this and you're spiritually unresolved and you never turned towards God. Super glad that you're here. But but what I want to do is I want to ask a couple specific questions when it comes to this, this overarching umbrella question of how quick are we to turn away? The first one would be this. How quick are we to turn away from the promises of God? How quick are we to turn away from the promises of God? 
Over the last couple of months, we have constant, constantly talked about the promises of God, the fact that there are promises made to us as a collective people, but there's also promises that have made, been made specifically to us as individuals. But if you're like me, it doesn't take much for us to become pessimistic about the promise. The, the doubt creeps in easily, and our pessimism about the promise goes through the roof. How quick are we to turn away from the promise? And how quick are we to turn away from people? What does it take for us to cut people out of our lives? Now, hear me. There are people that are not healthy and we need to walk away. And I fully understand that. But too many times we turn away from the people that God is asking us to run towards. What, what if we started having more patience with people? What if we had more patience with the call of God when it came to the people in our lives, that the people that are a little bit uh, frustrating, maybe they take a little bit of extra grace to be around? What if we didn't run away and we stepped in when God was asking us to step in? What if we ran towards people that have completely different belief systems than we do? What if we walk towards people who, who might be argumentative, but they still need the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus? What if we stopped saying them and we started saying we? We live in a divided world. We live in an incredibly divided world that is constantly trying to, to, to pit us versus them. And what if we just got rid of that mentality and said, no, we as a collective, as humanity, with, with a God who loves us, I want to look at people as children of God loved so dearly by him. Not people who disagree with me, not people who are on the different side of a political aisle, not people who are part of a different church, whatever it may be. That we would stop saying them and we would start saying we. And we'd be people in a divided world that when we see the gap, when we see the divide, we would do everything we can to bridge the gap. So how quick are we, we to turn away from the promise? How quick are we to turn away from the people? And thirdly, how quick are we to turn away from the calling? God has placed a calling on your life, and, and you may be aware of some specifics, and you may be completely oblivious, but nobody on this earth is left without purpose. If you know it, don't quit on it, and if you don't know it, don't quit trying to figure it out. You see, we all have the, this overarching calling to go and make disciples of all nations. That, that's what the Lord says to his disciples that, that applies to us today, but when we're, we're talking about our specific callings, our specific assignments, God's going to use us in really specific ways, so let's be people who don't quit on the calling. My prayer is that we would have a holy stubbornness when it comes to our callings. That if God has called us to it, nothing can stop it. And let's live in that truth. And if you don't know your calling, don't stop asking for it. The Lord is going to show up in incredible ways. The story goes on to say this in verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. So the simple question is this, are we stiff-necked? I think one of the best definition, definitions of this would be uh, to be obstinate and difficult to lead. Other definitions use words like arrogance and pompous and pretentious. And I don't think any of us would say that like that's how we want to be defined. But oftentimes, that is, well, that is what we are. And oftentimes, that is what the church is. The church becomes arrogant. The church becomes pompous. The church becomes pretentious. The nation of Israel was pompous and pretentious and obstinate and difficult to lead. The Israelites created a new form of worship and thought that their way was the answer. We might not be making physical golden calves, but so often we make a habit of creating our own idols are our own ways to deliverance that would we as individuals as communities as church bodies not be people who think that we know better than god that we would be people who are always focused on jesus you see too often we worship the created instead of the creator our idols look different all the time and our idols are always unique to our individual circumstances sometimes our idols are netflix or sports or or friends or or it might be that guy or that girl that you can't get out of your head and we start to idolize all of these different things it could be the idea of marriage it could be the idea 
of that job. It could be whatever. But all those things share a commonality, and that is this, that they are created. Netflix created. Sports created. The idea, the institute of marriage was created by the creator. So let's be people who focus on the creator, not the created. That's how we avoid idolatry. Another thing that we do is, as churches, as individuals, in our own personal walk with Jesus is that we build our own path to deliverance instead of following the one that Jesus set out before us. What, what if we stopped trying to create what was preferred and just started being obedient? What if we start trying to create like our own little niche and we just said, no, this is what Jesus asked of me. He made it really, really clear. I'm going to be obedient to him. See, even when it isn't on our timing or it isn't in our deal way, what if the furthest thing from God's mind was that these people are difficult to lead? Would God look at us as a community? Would God look at us as individuals and say, like, no, like they are so obedient. Like they, 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 I'm able, like they're led well. They're led well by, by others. They're led well by me. They, they aren't just sheep, but they are, they are people who take the, the, the guardrails that I've set out in their lives and they use them. And they're successful and they're finding flourish, flourishing because of that. So even though the Israelites are blatantly sinning, even though they are stiff-necked, even though they are obstinate and difficult to lead and they're pompous and pretentious and arrogant and all those different things, Moses goes to bat for his people. He goes to God. God is angry. God is going to destroy the nation of Israel. He's like, I'm going to wipe these people out. The, this ain't it. And Moses goes to bat for his people and he, he, he has a conversation with God. He has this amazing relationship with God and God relents. It's so amazing that God is, that, that Moses is still willing to go before God and, and advocate for his people. So God relents and Moses then goes down the mountain to talk to Aaron, his brother. And in verses 21 through 24, it says this. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Aaron responds, do not be angry, my Lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up by Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold, really take it off. Then he gave me, they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Out came this calf. It just, what? Like it just appeared and we were like, oh my gosh, look, there's a calf. Even though he crafted it and built it and then built an altar in front of it. This is just broken humanity breaking to the surface. Well, brother, you know them. You know them. There's that them statement. These evil people, these impatient people, he completely passes the blame. Aaron talks about them instead of, instead of talking about him. It goes on to say this in verses 25 through 26. It says, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let, let them get out of control. And so so they became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. This is really amazing. The Levites, this, this tribe of Israel, they were a part of it. It didn't say like, hey, everybody was worshiping the calf, calf, but not the Levites. No, what happened is that when the call came, the Levites responded. That when Moses said, hey, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. They were like, yes, we were wrong. We're, we're going to rally to you. So the Levites come. And then the next couple of verses can be really confusing because it kind of seems like, like Moses asked the Levites to put swords on their sides and walk through the camp and it just like randomly kills a bunch of innocent Israelites. But that's not what happens. If you actually look, it took me hours of, of 
kind of reading through this, that the Levites actually picked up their swords and the people that they go to battle with are Israelites who are still arrogant and pompous and pretentious and are like, even though Moses is back, even though he is calling us to something, even though he said, hey, if you are for the Lord, come to me, we will not do that. We still want to stick in our ways. We want our preferred way. We want our gods. We want our idols. And so the Levites go to battle and it says that 3,000 Israelites are killed in that day. It is a messy, broken nation. And then it goes on to say this in in verses 30 through 32. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back. Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sins. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses is advocating for his people. Aaron passes the blame because they were sinning. Even though he was sinning too, he pointed out their brokenness, not his own. But Moses went to God. Moses went to God for his people. So the last question I want to ask this week is, are we fighting against people or for people? When we start to think about the impact that we're having, we have to be willing to assess our lives and ask this question. Am I, am I fighting against people or am I fighting for people? You see, Aaron blamed and pointed fingers, but Moses petitioned on the behalf of others, even though he knew that they had sinned. Even though he knew that they had sinned. And what, what a testament to how we should live our lives today as we look at people who, who might find themselves in, in, a, in a position where, where they, they say that they follow Jesus, but they're living sinful lifestyles, uh, all of us. Or... We look at people who don't claim to follow Jesus and we look at their lifestyles and instead of pointing our fingers at them and pointing the blame and saying, look at these evil people, you know them. Look at these evil people. We would be people who look at others and we would go before God and we would say, God, would you relent? Would you forgive? Would you have grace? Would you have mercy? They don't believe in you. They don't follow you. They're not interested in you, but I want to advocate for them. Because I have a relationship with you like Moses had a relationship with you that you have allowed me because of what Jesus did on the cross to step into your presence. And as I step into your presence, I'm just not just stepping in for me. I'm stepping in for them, my friends and my family and my coworkers and my, my, my classmates and whatever it may be that I'm going to be an advocate for the people around us. And we have to ask, us, ask ourselves that question. Are we going to be people who are judges? Are we going to be people who are advocates? And spoiler alert, like Jesus never asked us to be judges. He never asked us to be judges. He called us to love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be disciples. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to create disciples. But here's the problem is that when we are judgmental, when we become judges, when we are self-appointed judges and we point our finger, we are not creating disciples, we are creating defendants. Because when we're judges, they feel like they have to defend themselves to us. Listen to me, hear me clearly. Our job is not to judge people. Our job is not to convict people. That is the Holy Spirit's job is to convict people. Our job is to love people into the presence of Jesus. And that when they get in the presence of Jesus and they feel his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and all of those incredible things, and they start to build a relationship with Jesus, they would be convicted of the things in their lives just like you and I are convicted of the things in our lives. We are not called to be judges. We are called to be advocates. We're not called to point fingers. We're called to make disciples.
We love people. We advocate for people. We hope that beyond all hope, we hope that they will see the love of Jesus. And that's kind of the whole point, isn't it?